This is Imperial Voice, streaming from the palace of His Imperial Majesty, Haile Selassie. talking, of course, about the Royal United Hospital Bus, which connects all our lives in this community. And our guest is the Chief Executive of the group, Cara Charles-Banks. Cara, Hi, William. To Lovely to meet you both. Hi, Peter. But listen, so, so tell us about the farm in Australia. That must seem a long way away now. Yeah, it does. I mean, um, um, you know, farming's a funny life, isn't it? And um, so we had sheep and wheat. And when I was very young, we also had dairy cows. Okay. But um, anyone that runs dairy cows know that knows that it's a, quite a commitment, actually. So um, you get up early, don't you? Yeah, and, and and I often chuckle to myself because it's quite funny. So I remember little things. Uh, you know, as we sit here over over a coffee. Um, <sighs> Our cups of tea when I was little always had cream on the top because it was right. fresh cow's milk. But of course, you know it, it's an acquired taste, isn't it? And as we've that got much health, as we've much got much healthier, um, we don't do that sort of thing anymore. I but when we get even healthier, you realise that actually it's quite good for you. <laughs> well, it's all fully natural, isn't it? It is, it is, is it absolutely. Does sheep have a secrets of death wish? No, I don't think so. I quite like sheep. Actually, yeah. I I think sheep are. Well, so it's quite interesting. So we're at home in the UK. Um, in the springtime, we get the spring lambs, so we can see them over our back fence. And I, I, I think the lambs are hilarious. Yes. They, they always run around in a bit of a posse. They are like a group of naughty schoolboys, I think. And, and um, um, you know, they've all, all seem to have their own characters. So, so is that sheep for wool or sheep for kebabs? Ah, uh, sheep for wool. For wool. So, so okay. merino sheep is, is the, the sheep that wool. we have, yes, that okay. we have in Australia, yes. Right. yes. Okay. And did you get involved in working? 
Never find the sun. No, I was right. I, I was a bit disappointment to my dad actually. I think I was I always had my nose in a book. But he got you a proper education. <laughs> it did get me a proper education. And that took you into nursing. Yes, absolutely. So just talk us through that for the first experience of nursing. Yeah. So so um so I, I always wanted to work in health. So I was always really fascinated um, by medicine and all things medical related. So it, all of my games that I used to play when I was little was. You know, I was the doctor or the nurse and I was fixing whatever up. And, and um, so I always was fascinated um, with with the care profession. Um, and, um, you, know, I, you know, I felt very lucky to be a nurse, if I'm really honest with you, because um, nursing is an amazing career and I, I, it has afforded me an amazing career. I've done so many different things. So from the outside, it looks like really, really hard work, but one which brings an incredibly strong motivation. They just seem, nurses seem to be some of the, the most motivated and committed and dedicated and driven people. Well, I, I think, you know, if you, if you, if you put it into context, uh, when you're a nurse, you're often caring for somebody when they're, they're vulnerable, they're exposed, uh, they're not feeling very well. Um, and the trust that they place you, in you at that moment is really special. Um, and it's a, it's a privilege, if I'm really honest with you. Um, and you know the difference you can make for somebody that you're caring for through uh, being kind, uh, through the attention that you give them, through the care that you give them, through the fact that just being able to sit quietly with someone and hold their hand is a really special thing to be part of. And um, and I love that. And and actually, that's why I do what I do today because those things are still really, really important to me. And as a nurse, you're, you're ready to care for anyone, aren't you? anyone who's put in front of you. Absolutely. So there's no kind of judgment or limit no. to the empathy. Although my husband would say otherwise. Okay. He doesn't think that I'm a very empathetic nurse either. So I, I suspect okay. there's always a fine line, yeah. isn't there, between he's, he's <laughs> run out of everyone the else and then you have your husband. Okay, no, that's, well, that's, that's, that's legitimate, I suspect. Yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely reasonable. So, I mean, that's a huge decision to come from Australia to the UK. What, what led to that? So my husband's English. Okay. Um, and so we, we did meet here in the in the UK and then and then we went back to Australia. So you came on a study trip? or? Um, yeah, so or? I worked... I worked over here. I worked at a hospital in London, and I I did my stomal therapy course at, at Saint Bartholomew's. So, oh. I I worked over here in the UK for three years and, oh, and met my husband. Hospital, yeah, so. and it's got a chapel, hasn't it? That it was used has. for weddings and a funeral. Yes, so and I worked. Yeah. I worked at a hospital called Saint Mark's Hospital, which okay. was on City Road, which is a tiny specialist colorectal hospital. So world renowned. Okay. Uh, it's now relocated and part of Harlow Hospital, but. Very special. You had a good experience with the NHS and the I England did. General. I did. So yes. you came back with your husband. I did. So, so my husband and I, we were we lived in Australia for eleven years, and then we've been back here for fourteen years. So, um, so we're just coming up to our twenty fifth wedding anniversary in April, which is lovely. So, um, you, what um, took you on the transition from from hands on nursing, which is I suppose so immediate, and that mm. care is there, and you know exactly what you're doing. It's put in front of you, and you have mm. to fix it into management and oversight of the leadership role? Um, so, so it was never a deliberate um, choice on my part, but I think um, I've probably always been quite driven to want to do more. So... Um, so ambitious? Um, yes, yeah, so ambition is... And, and ambition is a good thing, I think. I mean, um, and that's less about being uh, ambitious for me as a person and much more about being ambitious for what... I'm able to do for others. Right. Ambitious if for that impact. makes sense. Ambitious for, for outcomes. 
That's right, because because you know, um, people would describe me in this role as being ambitious, but actually, when you scratch the surface, it's about the fact that I'm really ambitious for the the quality of care and the experience we give the people who use our services here at the hospital, and importantly, from my perspective, um, ambitious for what we can offer our staff. Um, making sure that, in fact, we are one of the best organisations in the country to work for, because if we're looking after the people that work here, that gives them the space um, to look after the people that need their care as well. So they are inextricably related from my perspective. And do you find that your professional background as a nurse, as a medical professional, does that stand you in good stead in managing 5,000 sort of quite unruly staff? Or, or do you find there's a, a sort of prejudice against you know, an administrative or managerial no, class? So I think, I think having a clinical background is, is, um, is a real benefit. And, um, and part of my job is to uh, create hope and um, connectiveness for the team in the organisation. So... Um, I was smiling when you said unruly because actually I would never describe the team here as unruly because actually they're really united and focused on their commitment about um, really wanting to offer the best and that's really nice, it makes my job so much easier and actually my job is to unlock the things that stop them from flourishing and doing the things that they need to do. So I suppose there's a perception of consultants, you know, as being because they're very highly educated and developed yeah, people yeah, and they've got yeah. incredible sort of... Uh, I mean, in the nicest possible way, they probably always know best. Yeah. You know. So I've, I've, I've worked with consultants throughout my career, and um, my, I've always got on very well with the consultants that I've worked with. And I think one of the things is that I always come from a position of mutual respect. Um, it takes time to build that relationship. It takes time to build that respect. But the reality is, is, is the respect to make things work needs to be mutual. Yeah. Um, and... You know, part of gaining um, consultants that you work with respect is, you know, you listen to them, you're yeah. interested, you seek to understand, yeah. you're curious, um, you know, you, you, um, you, you know, you have grown up conversations yeah. with them um, and, and you include them because actually I think sometimes with consultants when relationships break down and when I, I think about where I've seen that happen in my career with other individuals, it's almost that, that um, you know, that happens because consultants don't feel engaged or included. Yeah. So, so, you know, th this all comes back down to, but, you know, that, that way I would build a relationship with our consultant medical staff is no different to the relationship that I would build with um, a member of our housekeeping staff, our portering staff, one of our HCAs, our nurses, um, you know, our finance team. Yeah. Um, so know, managing consultants is it's the same discipline as managing people generally. And and well and it's a bit about being yeah. able to, to understand what matters most to that individual yeah. and taking the time to, to get to understand that. So how do you find the British NHS system compared to your experience in Australia? Um so um I guess I'm used to it now after 14 years, but I think my initial impression would be is that it was it felt very bureaucratic. Um, the Australian model is is much more clinically led. Mm. So so in Australia, if you come back to hospital based care, you know nurses and doctors really ran hospitals. So as a nursing director, uh, in in the hospital I came from, um, you know I would be responsible for setting the tone for nursing care, but I also operationally ran the organisation as well. So so. In this country, we have a slightly different model whereby you do have the manager infrastructure, so people will be in 
management roles without a clinical background, even though the, the job is the same. It was just that in Australia, you tend to have a clinical background. Um, but again, um, you know, the thing is, is that it's about recognising the skill sets and the qualities that people bring to that partnership. Um, and I think the one thing that I noticed when I first came to the UK was um, people, I would often be meeting people and they'd say, well, that's just management. And it took me, it took me about 12 months to realise they were talking about me because I, I still saw myself as a nurse yeah. happen, happening to be in that management leadership role. But because I was in a manager role, I, I had the manager badge. So it's I've, definitely yeah. a cultural divide, isn't so it? So I've worked really yeah. hard yeah. Um, in my career here in the UK to, to break that down. And as I said, it's not... Um, um, everybody has different skill sets to bring to the table. Um, being a manager in the NHS requires a craft and a skill that is, is as intensive and, and requires as much study and investment as somebody who's got um, a clinical skill set that they've developed and honed over time. And is that it's just different the, things. The legislative environment and the... the Le- and leadership can be quite hard, yeah, if I'm yeah, really honest yeah, with you. Sure. You know, leading well yeah. and... Um, and um, honing that craft so that you know you understand the business and you're able to you know they they are they are different things but actually if you can bring um clinicians vision and ambition and and drive together with you know that that management skill set that can help unlock some of the things that might be um blocking them um you know that that's actually where the magic happens because that partnership is really really pivotal I mean, it is it is perplexing. I completely hear what you say about the NHS being being quite a bureaucratic organisation, and you'd think, well, we've had it for over seventy years. We'd have got quite good at it by now, and we know there's resource issues. But you'd have thought that it would be running quite smoothly, and yet it's it's almost as if every government that comes in feels they have to reorganise it, isn't it? And and I think um, I I reflect on this I reflect on this quite a bit actually, and I think. Um, one of the cha- and, and it is quite political but it is quite political comparatively in, than, than in Australia so so you are in you know we are always politically beholden to the the current passions of um, the Secretary of State or you know their areas of focus and, and you've seen that whereby yeah. you know Jeremy Hunt had a particular focus around yeah. safety um, Sajid uh, Javid at the moment's got a particular focus around Discharge and people not being in hospital for a long period of time. So, so every every government will have have their areas yeah. of focus, and and, and that that um, overrides that. I think one of the challenges, is, of course, is is how do we in these roles um, continue to look very long term about where we want to get to with health, because actually potentially governments can change every four years. Yeah. And of course, when they're thinking about their long-term policy, they are obviously quite rightly looking to see, well, what can I land in the next four years? So our job, of course, is to navigate that and make sure that we're thinking beyond those four years so that the decisions we're making and the services we're building, the changes we're making, um, are are steadfast through to the changes of the government, if that makes sense. Well, you're building your new buildings and projects, and that's not a five-year thing, is it? What's your planning horizon? How how far out do you look? So so I think think we use a number of horizons, if I'm really honest with you. I mean, we we will always look up to five years, because those are the, you know, that's almost about getting the things right now, but also doing the building blocks, blocks. and then we'll use it in five-year tranches. But... But, you know, we, we're also doing a piece of work at the moment in the hospital around um, resetting our vision and ambition for the hospital. Coming out of COVID, yeah. um, we are different yeah. and we need to do different things. And, um, you know, I'm very passionate about people. Yeah. And I also want 
I want our story as a, as at the RUH to be really simple. I want I want people to really feel that they can connect with us and really understand the minute that they walk in here what we're about. We want to dive into that next, but I think let's take a little break and we'll have your first your first hit. Very pleased to hear you've um, chosen superb disco hits. What do you think, Peter? When does cry? Absolutely. Yeah, Prince. Absolutely. Just to tell us a bit about Prince. Well, so I love Prince. I think, you know, I mean, um, he was just a phenomenal mus- musician, wasn't he? I He's mean, accomplished. He, you yeah, know, technically the, accomplished. He wrote so many songs and, and you know, if you, if you read into him, you know, he's... He's taught himself to play so many musical instruments. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he just he was quite feisty about that as well. He wouldn't let any instrument get the better of him. Um, and then, you know, he was so creative. He he wrote, from what I understand, thousands and thousands of songs, and the majority of which actually ended up in the bin. Absolutely. Um, so and he so for a lot of other yes, as well. absolutely. And so you know, obviously, one of his most famous ones is Sinead O'Connor, and yes, um, yes, yes nothing I, compares to you. So. You know what Eric, Eric Clapton said lastly when he was asked, "What does it feel like to be the best guitarist in the world?" And he would say, "You'd better ask Prince." Wow. Yeah. That's the guy. So yes. When so I thought I'd choose, I thought this one's a classic, oh, and I, right. I was hoping your listeners would 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 enjoy this one. I've no idea what it's about, but we love it. When does right over? Okay.
It's just psychedelic sort of fantasy. I've never seen one prior. So, um, Cara, you set the sort of framework for the hospital. What would you say at this point, you know, leading this group, what are the key strategic priorities for the IUH group at this point? So, I think the best way for me to explain this is is in three parts, if I'm honest with you. So, my overarching... I guess my overarching message would be is that the RUH is, a, is an organisation about people. Um, it's about the people we care for, it's the people that work in the organisation and actually it's the people in our community. Uh, we are not just a, a building, um, we are so much more than that and I'm really keen that we develop our role as um, good citizens of Bath as well, simply rather than just a provider of health services. Does that mean partnerships and shared projects? Absolutely, with other absolutely. So, um, you know, in a minute, in a bit, I can talk to you about some of the work that we're doing with Baines Council, for example. Okay. I mean, I think any, um, any specifics yeah. would be helpful to understand. Yeah. So, 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 a piece of work that we're we're doing with Baines Council is is um, looking together at the people that work work for us. Um, so uh, we are working with the university in May, and we're looking to see. You say the university. Uh, that would so be Bath Spa University. That would be no, it? that's Bath University. Okay, because we have a very close relationship yes. with Bath Spa University. Yes. <laughs> so, so we, I yeah. expect we'll be starting with Bath University, but I okay. we'll also be working with Bath Spa University. It's the flip with us. We started with Bath Spa, and yes. I expect we'll be working yes. with the University of Bath at some um, point. And them. we have an opportunity with Health Education England okay. to start to explore what might be the new roles that we could develop that are used university-based that actually start to create our workforce of the future. So it's a really exciting conversation for us because we know that our traditional workforce, be it care workers, social care, um, doctors, nurses, physiotherapists, all of those all of those roles, there's a really different way that we can start to recruit people into those roles through apprenticeships. But also there will also be new roles that we want to create that's about our workforce of the future and also um, workforce that can cross boundaries between um, between health and social care. So that, that's one part. Yeah. Um, we're also, um, both Will and I are really passionate about... That's Will, the Chief Executive. Will, the Chief Council. Executive, yes. Will Godfrey. Godfrey, that's right. Yeah. 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 Will and I are very passionate about making sure that we really offer opportunities to our most deprived children. Um, and so what we do know is that children that go on to employment in the public sector, you know, that can be generational changing for them because of the employment opportunities and the job security and all of those things. So um, we are looking to develop a programme so that we specifically are able to offer children. Um, what I'd really like to do is give every child in Bath and North East Somerset the opportunity to come and work in the public sector if they want to. Okay. Um, you know, that, that opportunity to come and taste and see what it looks like. like um, work experience um, there. Yeah, but, but also, yeah. you know, through apprenticeships yeah. and, and because actually yeah. we have to create different routes for people to, to come into the, you yeah. know, because the normal routes yeah. by which people might suddenly decide they want to be a nurse may not be well, accessible working, to no, Something's exactly. not reaching it's a Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Mid-Sun Hall, exactly. Radstock. So, yeah. so and, and, you know, we, Twerton is, is just around the corner from us really mm. and we've been having a lot of conversations with the Bath Football Club as yeah. well about okay. you know they're doing some great stuff in their community um, and don't get me started yes yeah. so, so you know so yeah. this, I guess this is an example of, of this is about us being so much more yeah. than simply providing a snapshot of healthcare at a period in time. Yeah. This is about us being a citizen of Bath, really recognising our role in, in having an impact on people's futures, on pe impacting on health inequality, but also um, creating 
and supporting our local population to be healthy. So how do, we, how, do, how do people in our community work in partnership with us to say, when you're here, we will help and support you with health services, but actually we'll support you also with your responsibilities about being healthy as well. Indeed. So um, lots of really, you know, so, so quite different, I guess, than, than perhaps what you may think we focus on. Yeah. But all of that comes down to, as I said, that people component. And... Um, our staff, are, you know, they are our most special. Uh, you know, they are the, the they are the thing that makes the IUH special. Um, and my job is to look after them and ensure that they can thrive. And um, you know, making sure that we um, have the right things in place for them from an education perspective, from a well-being perspective, from a work flexibility perspective. Um, all of that then comes down to how they make a human connection with the people that come and use our services. So you know. The little things about how we smile at you, how we recognise you when you come in, the fact that you feel that we're going to care with you, care for you with safety and dignity, and we we absolutely, you know, that makes a difference. Indeed. Um, Do you have much in the way of plans for working with young people um, in the sense of maybe at school level? Um, and I'm leaning more towards mental health with with, with, with this sort of question. Because I feel that there's there's a huge void at this age, where there's a lot of young people suffering from mental health issues, and I think it's 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 not being addressed. If I yeah. if I could be correct in saying that at this time. So um so we work closely with. AWP, which is Avon and Wiltshire Partnership, who are mm -hmm. the mental health services that sit across this region. Um, and children's services are, are driven by Oxford. But I'm really interested in, in the charities, actually, that sit in and around Bath, because more often than not, um, if you think about our mental health services, the formal NHS services, um, they are supporting at a point in time. By the time people need those services are often at crisis point by the time they can access them so so um you know there there is it, there is about what can you put in place beforehand and this is this is again something that will godfrey and i have been talking about which is um he was saying that in bath it's very difficult to keep 18 to 30 year olds in the city and so of course you know we, we do have a, a dearth of talent um, and um, we will be hopefully going out in the future to talk to the business leaders of Bath to join us in really offering our time, um, offering the ability to, to perhaps join into some of the already existing mentorship programmes and support programmes that exist in the city that really do help support our young people with some additional support or just actually, you know, if they've got an idea that they want to take forward. I mean, the, the reality is, is, Peter, I'm... I'm not mental health trained. I'm I'm, a, I'm going to do my mental health first aider um, training here in the hospital, and we're, we're actually rolling that out to a lot of staff so that we can start to recognise people in distress. But I think anything like that, we would we we wouldn't take it on in our own. But I think what I would say is that we'd be really open to uh, local charities and all of those things about saying, well, look, you know, if we've got staff in our organisation that are interested and you need volunteers and things, we're really open to what we could do and work with our partners around that as well. Okay, thank you. So you're listening to Imperial Voice. This is In Our City. I'm William Heath. I'm here today with Imperial Voice founder, Peter Green, and our special guest is Cara Charles-Banks, who's Chief Exec of the IUH Group. So Cara, if we, if we go back to the absolutely core meeting to your veg of this, which is the hospital, a large mm. acute trust with 600-odd beds and 5,000 staff, in your mind, when that's working in an ideal way, mm. what does that look like? 
So I was talking about that this morning, actually, because I was trying mm -hmm. to describe that. Um, because so so what I would what I would like, and and I'll describe it in a really simple way, though. But for me, it's about when when you walk into this organisation and you're going to use our services, it comes back to what I was just saying to Peter about the fact that you are always met with warmth and a smile. Um, you always feel that people are connecting with you. Um, you feel listened to and you feel valued. And importantly, you feel safe and confident in, in the care that we're providing for you. That's a pretty fundamental basic. And for me, it's about that, that you, you, that's consistent. So whether you're coming to our emergency department, whether you're having a baby here, whether you're coming to reception, whether you're actually coming to a meeting with me, the reality is, is that experience is consistent. Um, that, for me, is, is almost the foundation stone that we build everything else on. Layering over that then, what we do deliver then is exceptional care and we offer care that is advanced from a technological perspective and innovation perspective and that, so, that, so that the people who use our services, the people of Bath and the surrounding areas have the greatest confidence to know that actually their treatment will be um, in line with best practice, it will be at the forefront of new innovation and that actually we will be supporting them to return home to their communities and families as quickly as possible. A really good example of that, of course, is our, is our new cancer centre that's being built at the moment, which is our Dyson Cancer Centre. And, and if you come in that way today, I don't know which entrance you came in, but you'll see that. We saw the billboards. Yes. So we're kind of up to, up, you know, the building is definitely going up. Okay, um, so and how fast will that be? So that, that will be ready to go by autumn next year. Okay. So, so, and is that just going to be really special? So and it will be an amazing, yeah. amazing facility that... Um, will be incredible but actually what we need to ensure is that the experience when they come and visit in this beautiful building is as, is as incredible and we are the second largest provider of cancer services in the southwest which is a little known fact so you know that that's a huge differentiator for us about the fact that quality and how you feel but also with state-of-the-art care and treatment that, so, that dovetails together. I think it's a really solid beautiful vision it's incredibly welcoming it's warm it's consistent you go in it's very contemporary high-tech and innovative and so if that's if that's sort of where we're headed how far towards that aim do you think you are today? So I think I think we always we're always stepping towards it I think um it's really hard to judge about how far how far mm. along we are because I think you I've got services whereby I would say do you know what you're actually there now and then I've got other services who have got a journey so we, we make sure that we've got that constant yeah. learning yeah. I, I if I was really honest with you I don't know whether we would ever be able to say that we'd, we'd ever get there because actually what I would be suggesting is when you're getting close we'd constantly be challenging ourselves to say well what's next and what else yeah. would we be doing and the reality but, in the health unit is always yeah. messy isn't it you're, yeah. you're always struggling with resources and very difficult challenges so it's always a question of doing your best with what you've got available for. Are there particular areas which you think are most urgent areas for improvement and focus? Or you're just embarking on a strategic review, or yes, yeah, so, a, a so new we've got um, yeah. so so we've been doing quite a lot around uh, how we care for people and, and what future care models might look like. So so lots of work around well, what would we no longer keep in hospital for a long period of time that, you know, supporting our clinical teams to actually start doing some of their work in the community. Lots of our specialties do this already um, and it's about stretching ourselves about what we might do differently. Um, we, you know, anybody um, who, who has lived in Bath over the last um, 10 years would know that our emergency services and our A&E department has been challenged. Mm. You know, it, it is 
incredibly busy. We've had long waits. Um, you know, we know we've had some some challenges with mm. emergency with the, with the ambulance. You can't get anywhere. Yeah. Um, we've we've really made a significant mm. improvement in the last twelve months. So, um, in typical NHS fashion, there's always a lead table. Um, you know, we used to be very much near the bottom of the yes. league table you know 12 18 months ago we're actually middle of the pack now yeah. that's again not where our ambition is our ambition is to be in the in the top 20 percent but actually we are absolutely on that upward yeah. trajectory and um you know we have improved our minor service we've got a brand new children's facility um, we're reconfiguring uh where our most sick sickest patients come when they come for an emergency. We've got additional resuscitation areas. So we're doing a lot of work to actually resolve what has been a, a long-standing um, challenge for the organisation. So, so you know, some of, those, some of those fundamentals of care are really important. Um, you know, I'm really conscious as well that um, the, pan the COVID pandemic has meant that people are waiting so much longer now for their operations. So, so we have a really big recovery program around that yeah. um, and um, you know we also um, have uh, what we what is Sulis formerly known as Circle um, at Peasdown. Who's, um, who's brought that now? Is that you? Yes. That part of your so group? we have that yes. Yeah, yeah, that's a nice, um, nice facility, so so yeah. what that gives us is a, a standalone uh, we would call it in, in our language an elective cold site. What that means okay. is that I don't have any emergencies there. Okay. So it means that you know you're not um, you're not going to be under pressure around the fact that you've got a very busy emergency department mm -hmm. um, and, and might need those beds for those people that are there. You can protect that operating capacity. Okay. So um, really exciting. We, we do still absolutely do private work there. Part okay. of the agreement is we have private plus NHS, but okay. actually we've already transferred um, 700 people off okay. our, who are waiting here to have surgery okay. there. So. It absolutely opens up um, our surgical offer for this local population. Did you acquire that, or are you just operating it? So we bought the, we, we acquired the operating lease. You acquired the operating lease. Okay. Yes. Okay. So, so yes. High time for more music, I think, and I think we're going to go into the hot summer of soul. Um, uh, someone but cry to me. Yes. Peter knows this one, of course. Absolutely. Love this song, Peter. Absolutely. Don't you? Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. Fantastic. It's my favourite. There we go. New to me. So thank you very much. That's yes, a brilliant song. Don't you feel like I'm crying? Don't you feel like I'm crying? For here I am, oh honey. I come on, you cry to me. Such 
in our community and I think for quite a lot of us we thought hang on you know the, what was the problem and now we're thinking oh yeah there is a problem but what's your perception of that coming from Australia as you do and um, coming as an outsider and yeah, picking up the no, so, so there is absolutely a problem there is um, and um, and I, th- I think you know we're lifting the lid on that if I'm really honest with you I, I think you know um, you know in speaking with um people in, who work in this organisation who come from minority communities. They, they are experiencing racism on a daily basis. We've um, got this beautiful picture of Princess Tsai. We have, which is phenomenal. So there's, uh, you're making the um, effort to, to, to praise the role um, of... of but we have, we have lots of work to do, because actually mm. um, this is so much more than, than creating those, those visual things. This yeah. is much more about being curious and, mm. and asking lots of questions and seeking to understand. And a, a really good example uh, for me is, is we have two amazing in, inclusion ambassadors um, in Alvina and Sharon. And um, last October for Black History Month, they did a really fantastic piece of work for uh, the wards around how to care for black skin and hair. Because actually, you know, um, the, the soaps that you need to use are quite different and um, how to ha- care for black hair is, is quite a skill compa- compared to what perhaps they're used to. Um, and um, the, the staff were so grateful because actually um, you know, it wasn't something that they'd necessarily thought about but actually it just made such a difference for the people that we were caring for because actually this was something about them personally um, and we've got little care packs for the wards that are often you know a few bits of toiletries so um, Sharon and Alvina are now looking to see to make sure that we've got care packs for people of colour so that actually it's not just about normal soap and bits and pieces it is actually quite personalised um, and it might sound like a little thing but it's, it's a bit about just making sure that we've got equal equal access to the things that people yeah. need mm-hmm. and recognising the fact that People are different and need different mm. things, and it can't be the same for everyone. So things like that are clearly important. But I just wonder if between us we can roughly try and set out or, 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 or give indications of what we think the nature of the challenge is. Yeah. So I think I think it's a sizable problem, if mm. I'm really honest mm. with you. For the reason being that you're right, um, Bath is largely white, mm. um, and um, as you said, we're all very polite and and. 
Um, and often, um, you know, my experience when I talk to staff here, they've said that when they've raised um, concerns, there's often a very rational explanation about what's happened. So, you know, that, that other person was having a bad day, for example, or are you sure they, they've never, they, they don't normally, you know, I'm not sure they behave like that. So there's something for me about what we've been doing is, is starting our conversations and our journey less about saying things like um, we are an anti-racist organisation. We are much, what I want to do is talk about things in a positive way. So what I want to talk about the, is the fact that we are an inclusive organisation where everyone matters. Because actually if you say that you're an anti-racist organisation, it's very easy for anyone in the organisation or any member of the public to say, well I'm not a racist so that doesn't apply to me. I'm much more interested in having a conversation about the behaviours that we expect, which is around inclusion, is around treating people um, equally and also recognising that to create equality the, the intervention may not be equitable because actually yeah. what you have to do is often do something different for different members of the members of staff to put members of the population to make sure that everybody was on an equal playing field so I think you're a super positive person and I think in your leadership role that's, that serves you in really good stead but the challenge I think we've and I'm not trying to be a sort of you know muckraking investigative journalist or anything but I do think that in our community, there's an issue that people simply don't understand what the nature of the problem is. So you've referred, for example, one staff member might treat or speak to another in a way which makes them uncomfortable, they raise it, but actually it's not taken that seriously because yeah. there's a... Yeah. But is there an issue of, do people not get promoted? I mean, are you able to hire across the board ethnically at the entry levels, but, and then there's an yeah. issue about... So, so, so we do definitely have a, have a challenge in the middle. Middle um, So, yeah. so, so um, if you look at my trust board, my trust board is quite diverse, actually. Much so, improved, because so, yeah, we have meeting yeah, the yeah, 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 so yeah. definitely, yeah, so you would know that... Yeah. that um, well, that makes all the difference, isn't it? Def mm -hmm. uh, well, yeah. it's really important from my perspective that people in the organisation can see somebody at board level that looks like them. Exactly. And it's really important yeah. that they feel that they can relate and there's that, that connection. Yeah. Yeah. Um, certainly, um, you know, in that, that middle management tier, we absolutely know, and I've got a new director for people of culture, Alfredo Thompson, who uh, Peter and William met the other day, Wait, and um, the, what we're talking, what we're talking about is about how do we how do we start to unlock some of that? Um, I actually, it's international. Um, it's, uh, today we're celebrating international staff in the NHS. So actually, before you came, I had lunch with a few different members of staff. Um, we have um, very, so 15% of our staff come from other countries uh, and we have 69, 69 countries represented here at the IUH. So, so we are very ethnically diverse and every one of us will have a story and that contribution is so powerful because actually that, because we're not all the same, that difference means that we, we create something that's really special. Uh, we have um, many of our nursing staff come from a Philippines background or have come from the Philippines. And um, one of the things that we're, we're doing is we've got some really great programs around how do we support them in their development? Because actually, if they are keen for promotional opportunities, how do we ensure that we're, we're supporting them to be able to make the most of those? So many English um, language development. Exactly. So, yeah. so, so, you know, over the next five years, I would really want to see that diversity that I've got at board and the diversity that I've got um, at lower levels in the 
organisation actually be much more representative across the organisation. So what you're almost um, saying is that the IOH is a sort of hotbed of diversity in a way that really the rest of Bath isn't. Yes, and you often find you that you often that. find that in in, in hospitals yeah. because you, you will get that diversity. Yeah. But that for me creates a real opportunity to to role model. Um, how it needs to be different, and and also, yeah. you know, if we're getting it wrong, which we know we are, um, and we're not nowhere near where I would want us to be. No one's ever said to me, um, the IOH um, hospital um, I've never but, ever heard. But you know, I, I, yeah. I, we can be so much better, and and you know, we 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 are really taking all of that very seriously. We mm. are doing a development piece at ward with at the board with, and also our senior leaders. Mm-hmm. So that tier that I've been talking about. Um, and we're doing that with a nationally recognised lead around workforce race equality. Um, so she's What's coming, she um, Yvonne Coghill. She, I heard she's done great work. Yes, she is. So she's coming she's, to work with she's us. She's coming. Oh, she's yeah, been here full yeah. time. No, no, not full time. But, but she's consulting now. She's retired. But she's coming to work with us to really help us on that journey because actually we we want to. We've lifted the lid. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you know what? If we're going to do this, we're going to be amazing at it. So I think she so, might need to come and see us at Fairfield Palace. Oh, she'd love that. Yeah. So, yes. So Peter, have you got any views on that? I think ultimately, I think it's just to actually see this happen. I think it's important that it happens, and going forward, it, it, it just needs to be exactly as you said. It needs to be inclusive. We need to see, um, you know, more people on on the higher levels going up the ranks all the way up. Not necessarily someone trying to take your job away from you, but like you know, just to see people reach up there. I believe there's a lot of ambition out there. I think it's been suppressed by the, the, the groups that were made available at that time to get to those points. And it, it, it then sort of put people off, if you yeah. like. And it was only some people who were, you know, had that special passion for, for healthcare that really fought mm-hmm. it and got through. But I think, you know, if you could open those doors and make it more accessible, mm-hmm. I think you will have. A massive influx of people who would, who would love to get involved and see that they would see where they could play a part within the organisation. And I think the more that happens, the more local people you have here. I think that's also quite key as well because you know that helps with the local people that you serve as well. And, and you know, I think it's important. I like the things that you've done so far. I think it's important to address um, black hair and, and skin care. I think that's absolutely vital. I think that makes a difference. I mean, from 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 my perspective, it's sometimes almost been a deal breaker, you know, because you know you need to go to hospital, but you're worried that when you get there, you're not going to have the things you need, mm. and and to be able to care yourself the way you would if you were at home. So I think that is absolutely vital. Mm. Um, I've noticed that the the food issue has been addressed as well. That's also very important because again. When someone needs healthcare, um, they have to make that decision. You're at home, you're in your comfort zone, yes. yeah, and you've got all your things around you. When you're being asked to leave that and to go somewhere where you have none of these facilities, that's a very big ask. And, and as you go up the chain, in other words, in age, that becomes more and more difficult. Okay, so I've I've seen people seriously contemplate coming to hospital, though they know they need that health care, they're then also worried about, well, you know, I'm not going to be able to care for myself very well. Yeah. You know, if my hair goes this way, then it's going to cost me even more money to get it sorted out yes. when I come yes. out of hospital yes. and all this sort of stuff. Yes. So it's very relevant, 
So I'm, I'm, I for one, I'm glad that this is, you know, has been noted and it's been acted upon. They're small steps. I yeah. mean, you know, they, they're they small matter. steps. They're yeah. all little ones that yeah. matter. And, yeah. I, and so I can't thank you enough for that. I think that's mm. extremely important. So third track. Yes. And I think we're going to CBGB's in New York, aren't we? Blondie, Atomic. Going back. We love Blondie. <laughs> We're going back now. I've seen there's only one Blondie in the room, and that is Lucy, the head of communications. <laughs> Hi, Lucy. Get away. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, I, you know, we, I had a fleeting visit, didn't I? So I can't wait to come back, actually, and have my proper tour, because, um, you know, that the, the building and the history was fascinating. But I, I think one of the things that I would, would play back to you is that it, it felt so much more to me than a building. It was about a community. And so, you know, the, the reality is, is the building's a building. And, and I'm much, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to my next visit to really get to understand and meet the community, actually. Because what, you know, what I got a sense of when, when we visited was just how meaningful it already is for, for members of our community, if that makes sense. But actually, um, 
you know, we were talking about safe places and where you feel connected and where you feel at home and, and all of those things. And actually, having finding your place in the world is, is quite important. And, and what, what I saw in Fairfield House, particularly for, you know, um, you know, people who've come from the Caribbean and things like that, you know, there, there, was, there, there was that really special connection. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think that it was really special. I, I think one of the things about that future collaboration piece, as, as we were talking earlier, you know, we have such an opportunity to make a difference um, um, here at the hospital about how we approach things, the messages that we put out to the community, the role modelling that we do. Um, I'm also really conscious as well is that 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 um, by the nature of, of the position I have and the organisation I run, that brings with it influence. But it actually, the, what I do with that influence is the thing that makes a difference. So, so you know, part of our partnership is about how do we use the strengths of both of our organisations to create something really good. I so, I think I mean. In for one quick visit, you've completely nailed what's important about it. And the building is a headache. Basically. It's lovely, but it's a headache. And it's, that's a lot of maintenance. And it's something like the spirit of the place and, and a legacy that was for caring for all people and the exemplary way in which that care is done. Indeed. And I think, I mean, obviously you, you carry very significant executive direct responsibility, mm -hmm. you know, huge budgets and staffing and so forth. But that power of influence and convening is really, really important mm -hmm. as well. I think it's it's very interesting how a you know barely formed social enterprise which barely has a budget. I mean, honestly, our budget would be a, not even a rounding error in spreadsheets. But there's a lot of spirit. I am interested in how how we can help you achieve your aims and ambitions for the for the IUH for change and evolution. So I so one of the things that's. Um, so you talked, you, you just touched on uh, care of older people. Um, you know, Bath and the surrounding areas has got one of the most rapidly ageing populations in the country. Um, so, um, you know, collectively, there is a real opportunity for us to, to create something very different for how we care for older people. You know, the approach that you, you take through Fairfield House um, and that sense of community is probably quite different to what some of the traditional services we have in NHS and social care. So I'm really interested in, in you know, really better understanding what, what, what can we learn from you that, that actually um, enables us to create something different, I think. Because actually, if you think about the fact that if we don't get it right for, a, for our people that are ageing, um, that that just invariably comes back to to create uh, more challenges. To be honest with you, and um, you know, I'm I'm very lucky. My dad's 84, and he's a very fit farmer. I, I was telling somebody earlier today that I, my poor dad, I make sure he's done at least five and a half thousand steps every day. I know I, I, I get into kind of make sure he gives me the update. Um, and Whizzing around the fields, you know, taking sheep, um, you because know, farmers yeah. never retire, do they? Right. So, um, but you know, so, I, so I'm very lucky to have a, a very fit and and healthy. Father, but but you know the reality is is we also have sixty year olds in our community who have significant illnesses and their quality of life becomes quite poor. So so you know learning from the approach that you take with your community and that connection with your community around bringing older people together and that sense of you know one of the things that that is a real challenge for any older person is loneliness. 
actually. That's, the, that's one of the single most things that creates the most damage. Um, I know with the community that you have that actually one of, the, one of the main things that you do is combat loneliness because you give a sense of friendship and partnership. Um, you know, being able to bottle that and, and start to then replicate that in other communities, I think would be really powerful. I think you're so right. And the strange thing is, I don't think the loneliness in our community is, is a, it's not exactly a deficit or an error. It's like we're hardwired for it. The people I see getting older in this community want to keep their independence. They want to live alone, even if it's clearly not the right thing for them. And what I see at Fairfield House is partly an exemplary practitioner mm. of social care for the elderly, but it's also a culture. Mm. We're coming into your foyer this morning, this afternoon, and Peter sees one of the Caribbean elders, he knows her, he goes, and he talks to her, and he helps her into a wheelchair, and immediately she's got a sense of connection and support. And, and I really admire the way you are with the old people, it's not, and that's not your job, you know, you're dealing with younger people and mental health thing. But to see, just to touch on the, the whole culture of this, this is the way we were brought up. Okay, so it was very much that, you know, you did things for your elders and, you know, you weren't afraid to go and do things for your elders and that's something that just naturally, organically grows with you. And so now we've got to the age, and like my mum was here over, over, over the weekend, and it, it's, it's that thing where we just lock together, we know what we've got to do, mm. and, and we'll go and do that quite happily and, you know, we'll pull out stops to make that happen mm. because we know that it's down to us to provide that care. Mm-hmm. Now, some would argue the toss and say, well, no, maybe they should, you know, get external help from elsewhere. But no, we look after our own. Mm-hmm. It's like when we when we leave this life, we, we bury our own, you know, we, yes. we backfill our graves. We, you know, we do things differently. We have a way of doing things. And it's systematic and it's second nature to us. Mm-hmm. So, but how you would sort of replicate that here, I, For I me, see, it's a I sense of community, time. isn't it? Yeah, yes. it is, and, and it comes back to some of the things that we're starting right. We were talking about right at the start, which is yeah. connecting people together, Thank and you. actually connecting people together is the thing that unites us, and 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 actually, um, um, you know, is, is it forms the basis of everything. So, you know, how 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 through the things that we do, do we start to actually uh, build that sense of community further? we best let you go because you have weighty responsibilities. Thank you so much for your time and for our conversation. You are more than welcome. It's been my pleasure. This has been In Our City. I'm William Heath, here today with station founder Peter Green, and our guest has been Cara Charles Barks, chief executive of the Royal United Hospital Group. Thank you both. Stay tuned to Imperial Voice.